Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, we've recovered from the hysteria and the excitement of last week's incredible trade deadline news week. A little bit more calm, but we still got a lot of stories to cover. Jackson, how are we doing today? Buzzing. Ready to talk football, midweek, no trades, but I, if you think news didn't happen this week, I got news for you. There's news. Let's talk news. There's always news here over on the FO News Show every Wednesday at 1 p.m. And as always, got to shout out our sponsor before we dive into the news. Talk about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? Play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional fantasy sports sites. You can even win fifty grand, $50,000 if you grab first place. You can also go try Pick'em Games, which you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Listeners over in California, you can dive in there right now. Even though both those props didn't pass yesterday, you could still play an underdog. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. Jackson's Underdog Pick of the Week, DeAndre Hopkins. Rams can't guard wide receiver once. I love it. Let's dive in. Jackson, biggest story of the week by far is what is going on in Indy. Starts off, Colts fire Frank Reich. He's 40-33-1 as a head coach. Makes the playoffs twice. Colts were certainly not off to their best season as a franchise, the worst under Reich's tenure. Guy dealt with five different quarterbacks in five different seasons. Seven different quarterbacks started games for the Colts. Over the tenure of Frank Reich, as an offensive mind, they were last in offensive DVOA, last in offensive scoring, and last in rushing DVOA, despite having last year's rushing leader. This also comes a week after they fire their offensive coordinator. Now you're thinking, hey, they've got a couple Head coaches on their roster already. D.C. Gus Bradley, senior defensive assistant John Fox. They've got a real big up-and-comer in their special teams coordinator, Bubba Ventrone. Jackson, they don't go with any of those as their interim head coach. They go with former center Jeff Saturday, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time 
All-Pro, Offensive Lineman of the Year in 2007, inductee to the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor, an incredible success story as an undrafted free agent, hopping over from Baltimore, playing with the Colts, Peyton Manning's right-hand man. Jackson, what am I leaving out? Man, I don't know. We we could talk about his uh, credentials at uh, Hebron Christian Academy. We could. Exactly, um, because I'm leaving out coaching experience. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is fair because he's also mostly leaving out coaching experience. There's, there's that omission mostly uh, from the resume. Man, I mean, we'll get into very shortly the bizarre press conference that happened Monday evening because that deserves like a tenth of the show right there. Uh, but just on its face, the Frank Reich firing, you can call it fair, you can call it unfair. Obviously, the Colts had a brutal start to this year. I think, in all honesty, this doesn't stem from the start to the season they had quite as much as it stems from that Jacksonville loss last year. I think. Jim Irsay still hasn't gotten over that loss one bit. He ruminated on it all offseason. He, anytime somebody put a mic in his face, he talked about how much that loss hurt him. Uh, certainly, like Frank Reich sticking his neck out there for Carson Wentz last year didn't really help either. Uh, but it's not like the Matt Ryan solution worked out for them any better. This is just a case of like the same recipe wasn't going to keep working over and over again. And Jim Irsay, Say what you will. He's willing to change the recipe. He's willing to mess with the chemistry. Uh, and I think now we'll we'll sort of get into uh, just exactly what it is that they've decided to do. Jackson, at heart, Jim Ursay is a showman. He cut a promo outside a plane on the runway after that Indianapolis Week 18 loss. Uh he is he is an entertainer through and through. The press conference was something else. I do want to add uh, the athletics tend to win just within a minute. Just posted a story where he's actually scouted <laughs> Hebron Christian Academy over on Huddle and cut a little promo or cut a little tape up there. Essentially, the team. Oh, by the way, let's let's introduce you to uh, his his actual coaching resume. Uh, again, Saturday, former center, ESPN analyst. The full extent of his coaching history. He was a two year assistant at a private high school in Dacula, Georgia, at Hebron Christian Academy. Under former NFL player Kevin Schaffer, then takes over the coaching job in January 2017. Steps down February 2020. Has, I believe, a 20 and 16 record over the course of his tenure. Closest he ever got was the state finals in 2019. And according to Nguyen over at The Athletic, they're a spread to run team. And the biggest thing is they involve the QB in a ton of the run game. So <laughs> I'm not saying Ursa is playing 5D chess here because we'll get into the con uh, conference and he is clearly not. But at least on surface level, if there was a monicum of scouting in this decision, 
it feels like a decent fit at the very least. You know, Ellinger touted as a runner out of college. Emphasis on the run game, heavy lead on run game with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Spread to run, easier assignments for the offensive line in the blocking game. Clears things up in some regards. And hey, if a high school team can run it, so can the Indianapolis Colts. That's not even the same sport. That's not even the same sport. And Jeff Saturday is not even calling the plays. I don't think he's installing any offense at all. I don't know what Jeff Saturday's role actually is. When do you ever see an interim coach get hired off the street in the middle of the season? I tried to do research on this. I couldn't find other instances. You promote from within mid-season, and then you go out and find your new guy in the off-season. So we'll get into the press conference right now, but I don't even know if this is an interim hire. It could be Jeff Saturday is just the head coach until further notice because that's what it feels like when you bring someone in from the outside and hold a press conference saying how much confidence you have in him and that he's the guy. Should be added that there was – Saturday did technically have a consulting role with the Colts. So not totally outside, not exactly an inside promotion, but at least there's some ties. But you're right. Let's get into this press conference. And admittedly, Saturday did say in the press conference, you know, this is a tryout for him, but it's also him auditioning for 31 NFL teams, in his words. So it's not totally – it's he's looking for some kind of job in the league, whether it's with the Colts in the future or not, that remains to be seen. I do play a little devil's advocate talking about the 10-to-win offense as described. But Ursa's biggest hiring point, it seems, is the fact that this is a fresh face. Ursa's exact quote was, I'm glad he doesn't have NFL experience. I'm glad he hasn't learned to fear the fear that's in this league. Coaches are afraid. They go to analytics and it gets difficult. He doesn't have that fear. He has tons of experience. He knows this game inside and out. Jackson, it feels like a guy in this position might want to lean on some data and some number backing to actually make some decision and inform him in places where he might not have the prior experience to make the right call. And that is not the case. This is where it's leaning. Every decision is like you can lean on quote-unquote analytics, which usually would just be the win probability added in any situation, but any decision is going to be a scary one, whether you choose to go for it, whether you choose to punt, kick a field goal, whatever. There's fear involved with all these decisions. I can't wait personally for the first time that the win probability charts just blow up on the Colts with this uh, new philosophy when they like punt from the 42 yard line on fourth and three with three minutes left. And the the Ben Baldwin model says, go for it plus 12 win probability, something along those lines. Cause you can feel it coming with this. This is like the, the strike back against analytics, which is just the new big bugaboo in the league to determine whenever somebody does something anti-traditional 
aggressive, yada, yada. They love when it doesn't work out. They never talk about it when it does work out. They just ignore it completely and say, you know, what actually happened on the field. Uh, but whenever somebody goes for it, whenever Mike McDaniel takes a fourth and three and doesn't get it, it's just, oh, why'd they do that? It's it's analytics. It's all the new numbers, and guys aren't even watching the game. It's uh, This is definitely the, the reverse coaching philosophy we're about to see. Jackson, you can't even say Ursay is not a fan of analytics because mm-hmm. in backing his own credentials as the owner of the Colts and the success of the franchise, his exact quote was, look, we're the fourth winningest, winningest franchise in the league since 2000. That means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's Which not is actually false. <laughs> the best part about that is it's actually false. The top quartile would be eight. So if you're in the top quartile, the top quartile, you need to be in the top two. So he's just in the top half, but he he gets it. He's a math guy. Numbers are his friend. I want to just play like best quote from this press conference because we could go through them all afternoon. Um, Aside from that, coaches are afraid. Uh, Here are your other candidates. Uh, You have Jeff Saturday saying, quote, I'll be frank. I asked Mr. Ursay, tell me why I am a candidate you would consider in any role. But I felt very prepared. Then you have Chris Ballard, quote, Y'all been kicking the shit out of me for not drafting wideouts, and now we're underperforming on the offensive line, which is fabulous. Which is just, I want to uh, I want to step in on that one because listen, the Colts the Colts have been very good at drafting offensive linemen. I get it, but the best way I heard someone describe this on Twitter was if you taught a man how to juggle with two balls and you throw in a third ball. He's like, listen, now you're throwing this third ball I'm juggling, and I dropped the first one? I blame you. This is your fault. This is your fault. I'm not a bad juggler. This is your fault for making me juggle a third ball. Yeah, come on now. That third ball was like .01 ounces off in weight. Um, Let me throw one more quote at you for the competition here. Uh, Jimmer say, quote, I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage, but I do know how to build a football team. Because I've been around for 52 years, I understand he's fully capable of doing this and more than capable. Kale, where does making sausage come into the equation at all when discussing building out a football roster? Jackson, I'll raise you one better. (laughs) After talking about uh, his new head coach saying Saturday, yes, he is fully experienced enough. Yes, he is fully capable. He follows that one up with, for Mike uh, Garofalo, we don't build rockets to go to Mars. It's a very simple job we do here. So sausage making, rocket construction. It's it's a lot more than just head coaching. And Jeff Saturday is the guy to do it all. And then he also, one more for you. He says uh, of Chris Ballard, the guy's a winner and he's been immensely successful. No one's perfect. We all miss a lot. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? Chris Ballard, Michael Jordan. Who can say which way the scale leans? I will say there is one that's not as funny, but needs to be raised because it's equally as bizarre. Uh, This is a very prompt hiring, and 
interim hires are not subject to the Rooney rule, but someone did bring up at the press conference about the processing of the Rooney rule. And Ursay's exact quote from Zach Kiefer on Twitter, there's no problem of perception unless you guys make a problem of perception. You got to do it. I understand. I was a broadcast journalism major too. I don't know. Are you guys ever held accountable? Do your editors ever bring you in and say you wrote that stuff? It was all wrong. You're fired. We get held accountable. That's for sure. First of all, I'd like to point out, uh, I was a broadcast journalism major. Kale was a magazine news and digital journalism major, and his is the major that does the writing. Broadcast journalism is the on-camera stuff. So apparently Jim Irsay doesn't understand the profession that well. And Moving no matter on. what, you got to ask the questions about the Rudy rule. Yeah. You got to no, ask so questions about proper hiring practices. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, it's understandable in principle that the Rooney rule shouldn't have to apply here because, as we mentioned, hiring in season as an interim coach is usually a hire from within. If you're going to go outside, if you're going to hire someone from outside, there should have to be an interview process and you should have to abide by the Rooney rule. They're two different things. So that's just completely undercutting Ursay's entire point here because he's not doing this whole like anti uh, he's he's not doing the typical interim hire. It's completely bizarre and should abide by the same practices as a postseason hire. It's I, I I wonder if only because it is technically like if you count the consulting job, it's technically internal. And I don't know if that's just work around. But <laughs> if it's if it's, because, if it's because it's interim status. The NFL exists in a week-to-week process where, like, yeah, like I get that not having that same uh, level of scrutiny and level of expectation because tight windows, you got to have a new guy to fill in, turn around, et cetera. So I get wanting to expedite that process a bit. But if you're talking about, you know, Colts ring of honor as a qualification, as uh, I believe it was Richard Johnson pointed out, uh, Reggie Wayne is already more qual- is also in the Colts Ring of Honor and already more qualified as a coaching candidate. Uh, currently serving as a wide receivers coach on the Colts roster, or yeah, wide receiver coach on the Colts roster, and also served as a voluntary wide receivers coach during 2018 as well as 2019, I believe. One thing this roster has been missing, Jackson, is a play caller. And they've even managed to throw a wrench into that process. There was one person on this roster with offensive play calling experience, and that's Colts quarterback coach Scott Milanovic, who called offensive plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2018 as an interim OC. Is that who got the job? No. Why would you even ask that? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Instead, it goes to assistant quarterbacks coach Parks Frazier, which you have as a fun fact here, Jackson. (laughs) Frazier's wedding was ministered by Frank Reich. (laughs) Was. Was. Uh, Also, has not had play calling experience at the NFL level. 
feels like an extra level of, for lack of a better term, drama to throw into the Colts locker room situation by just saying, you know, you've been our quarterback's coach for, I believe, two or three years now, filling in for quarterback's coach turned offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. You are the only person with play calling experience, Scott Milanovic, but you will not get this job. It is going to Park Spration. I mean, talk about the chaos game of the week. You've got the Indianapolis Colts figuring out what their responsibilities are as a coaching staff on the fly, going up against the Las Vegas Raiders, who already have a coach on the hot seat and have blown three 17-point leads already this year. Ken, would you like to gamble on this game? You got you got Raiders minus six. Listen, if there was if there was as it's as good a turnaround game as any for this team. I close say- the loop one more one more close the loop on the Rooney Rule thing since we have it. This like black head coaches who get hired as interim coaches do not keep their jobs. That's just how it's worked out throughout history. We have Steve Wilkes right now is hired as the Panthers interim head coach. Seems unlikely to keep his job going into next year. I don't know exactly how many have been hired, but only three have lost the interim tag. So if Jeff Saturday, who's never held an NFL coaching position of any kind ever, maintains the inter or loses the interim tag and becomes the full-time head coach, which all these quotes seem to be setting up to happen, that is just a like a complete and total encapsulation of why we not only need the Rooney rule, but none of the problems that we've said, um, you know, going back past the Flores lawsuit, going back past the off season when all the black head coaches got fired and no new ones were hired. Just a complete and total encapsulation of why the problem hasn't progressed one bit since the early two thousands. But Jackson, he went to the Georgia state quarterfinals. Ah, it is Hebron. I I am genuinely morbidly curious to see where this goes from here because, man, I couldn't tell you where it's going to go. Frank Reich, by the way, uh, said to be, you know, taking a few weeks off, getting back with his kids, having some time off. If you just go blind resume, head coach who's been an offensive coordinator on a Super Bowl winning team, took five different quarterbacks in five years and made two playoff runs and an above 500 record, he's going to be a hot head coaching candidate. He's going to be a fantastic OC for anyone. Like, he is a really good head coach. I it, the, the Colts have put him in such a unique position, and I understand that he was one of the people kind of pounding on the table for Carson Wentz, and that might have been the fatal error that submarined his coaching tenure. Yeah. In an but it's it's that... not his fault. His quarterback from the previous season retired on him. And that was already three different quarterbacks in three different years he had had. He's just looking for anything consistent. <laughs> and the second retirement he's had to deal with, one of which has just spun, <laughs> spun an endless, endless line of, head-scratching quarterback decision. Ellinger doesn't seem like the guy. He's I, – I liked some of the things that they did for him 
uh, when the Commanders ended up winning that game. Some of the design run plays, the bootleg stuff, the play action, making things as simple as possible for a guy who had never started an NFL game. Maybe you mix in some more design runs. It looked okay. He looked serviceable. That completely went out the window the following week against the New England Patriots when it was just Reich working his job. And as Patrick Steely notes, the nine sacks is not good as well. I think that's also one of the things that maybe not gives the Saturday hire credence, but the hiring, like (laughs) hiring an offensive line guy or a former offensive lineman in one of the most uncharacteristic drop-offs of an offensive line in recent memory. Like, maybe he can do a little bit there. I have no question of Saturday's knowledge of the game. But, man, is this a head-scratching hire. We will continue to monitor this. Maybe not in the news lens, but just out of morbid curiosity. And come off-season time, I am I am fascinated to see where this ends the Colts up. Yeah. One one final shout out to our comment section. Uh, Coral Skipper wants the Colts to be uh, picked up on television in St. Louis this weekend so he can watch the game. Buddy, I hope so too. I hope everyone gets to watch. Whether you're red zoning it, um, I won't talk about any of the other sites that you can stream these games on, but they're out there. Uh, everyone should keep their eyes on this. Uh, yeah, Kale, when did it just become in vogue to not have experience to get hired for jobs in America? I don't get it. I couldn't tell you. Move on. I can, let's I finally can. get let's get to another topic. But <laughs> we could have spent the full hour on the Colts, no problem whatsoever. I I don't. Speaking of people with who didn't have uh, proper qualifications to be an NFL GM, the Las Vegas Raiders cut former first round safety Jonathan Abel. Was that the toss you were trying to give me? No, but it works. <laughs> I'll take it. Again, Jonathan Abram, 2019 first-rounder for the Las Vegas Raiders. Another vestige of the John Gruden-Mike Mayock era. 27th overall pick out of Mississippi State. Started 34 of the 36 games that he appeared in for the Raiders. Barely played his rookie season. Jackson, this continues a string. An unprecedented, abysmal stretch of first-round selections from the Mayock Gruden era. Between 2019 and 2021, this doesn't include 2022 in the new era because they traded that first-round pick for Devontae Adams. So between 2019 and 2021, the three years of the Mayock Gruden era, Raiders made six selections in the first round. Four of those six selections. Abram, offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood, wide receiver Henry Ruggs, and quarterback Damon Arnett were all waived before the completion of their rookie deal. Two of those players, of course, were either arrested or cited with charges prior to their cutting or in relation, just happened to be around the same time of their cutting. I don't know, chicken or egg, which happened first. The other two first-round picks that they made, Ed Rusher, Cleland Farrell, 
and a running back, Josh Jacobs. Both had their fifth-year options declined by the Raiders this year. Should Those be noted. Best stories. Should be noted. Josh Jacobs doing okay this year. Has the lion's share of carries in the Vegas Raiders running back room. He's second in DYAR this year. He's fifth in DVOA. Cleland Farrell, on the other hand, as an edge rusher, now plays behind Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, who have really – Max Crosby has been excellent. Chandler Jones has been very much nothing. But even then, former first-round pick Cleveland Farrell has half a sack this season and has really not done much, has played just 41.5% of snaps for the Raiders this season. Jackson, I cannot remember a worse multi-year stretch of first-round picks essentially set on fire. Even if you consider Josh Jacobs a hit, going one for six in three years on first-rounders is abysmal. Yeah, and if your one hit is a high-volume running back who has good years and has years where he's extremely inefficient, that's probably not great because you shouldn't be, as we've learned, probably It's also just a first-round running back. back. Yeah, that probably shouldn't be drafting running backs in the first-round period. Man, things are not looking great in Las Vegas. It's a classic example of regime change still leaving behind organizational ruin. Uh, and as Patrick Seeley so adamantly points out, uh, bringing in the new regime hasn't exactly been successful when uh, Josh McDaniels, here's a fun stat for everyone out there. The Raiders have been around since 1960. From 1960 up until this season, they had lost five games in franchise history where they led by at least 17 points. This year, they've already lost three. So if Josh McDaniels loses to Jeff Saturday in his NFL coaching debut of any kind, plus new play caller, plus Sam Ellinger, who was the worst quarterback in football, not named P.J. Walker last week. Does Josh McDaniels get to see another week after that? Does he go back to New England and be Matt Patricia's understudy? What happens from there? I I only say this because, call it recency bias, call it whatever. We knew this roster was pretty barren to begin with, outside of its topmost talent level. It's a poor man's stars and scrubs Rams model because the stars have not been shining and the scrubs have been very bad. That being said, again, call it recency bias. The first first year head coach I have remembered getting fired before the end of his first year is Urban Meyer, and that is the closest I've seen a head coach get fired with cause in the NFL uh, after everything that came out about him. I can see that just happening because of a poor Josh McDaniels performance in a year they've already pretty much punted away. At this point, why not compete for a first-round pick? They also have someone who I believe is a pretty quality GM 
in the in the office for them. I get it's another New England guy. I get, you know, Dave Zygor hasn't, you know, the Devonta Adams trade hasn't exactly worked out at the moment, and some of these acquisitions haven't necessarily panned out, a la the Chandler Jones trade or the uh, signing. That being said, I think they'll give him a little bit of time. But there is no, you know, second half adjustment. There's no – Mark uh, – You could Mark say it's when they go from playing good football to terrible football at halftime. That's an adjustment fair. of some kind. I guess. I guess you call that an adjustment. Not in the way we traditionally think of it. A little, little modern spin on the take. But, yeah, Mark – Mark Davis is having conversations with Daniels in the locker room pretty much every week after a collapse. Uh, different reports come out. Uh, it's it's a mess there, but I don't. I just don't think unless you have something as abysmal as a performance as Urban Meyer or was was Lee Corso uh, the other truly abysmal. Uh, NFL head coach got, that got fired within the same year. I don't think McDaniel is, you know, McDaniels is going to get canned that quickly. If they lose to the Colts, though, it's on the table. That's if they I mean. lose to this, I, there is there's not a like Carolina Panthers motivational like exercise the demons kind of thing. As Sealy says, losing to the ESPN analyst is embarrassing. You just spent you just spent three minutes arguing why, seemingly arguing why they shouldn't fire him after this game or why it won't happen. Then you said, "Oh, it's on the table, though." That was my whole question to begin with. It is on the table. I was, I forgot their opponent was the Colts, Jackson. I forgot it was the team we just spent the half hour lambasting. Let's move on before we dig ourselves any deeper. This is <laughs> look at our next story. <laughs> Into our injury roundup, as always. Our first one doesn't come from a team that played last week. Comes from a bye. Giant safety, Xavier McKinney. In an announcement released via his own Twitter, was enjoying the bye week over in Cabo went on a guided sightseeing tour on ATVs got into an ATV accident hurt his hand and the injury will keep him sidelined for what he calls a few weeks a tough tough loss <laughs> in a in an inexplicable manner fell off an ATV broke his hand Needs to have fingers surgically repaired. Not many injuries I've seen like it, Jackson. Should be noted that although he is definitely expected to miss at least four weeks, given that he was placed on the non-football injury list, and that is a requirement at this point, uh, it is unknown as to whether or not he will be able to play again at all during this football season. And Xavier McKinney is a guy who has made a number of very big plays for the Giants so far this year, most notably stopping Christian Kirk on the half-yard line to clinch the win as time expired against Jacksonville. So this is a playmaker on your defense. 
I'm not really going to get into the whole, like, are you hurting your team by going on an ATV in Cabo on your bye week? But it's just something that, I mean, it's obviously terrible luck. It's something, whether or not you put Xavier McKinney fully at fault for it, it's something that can't happen. Like, that's just the truth of the matter is you can't be getting guys hurt on bye weeks falling off ATVs. I don't know how many other guys are doing things like it on bye weeks, but it just can't happen. There's no other way to say it. I'd like to add on top of, you know, the four pass breakups that he's notched this year, the 38 combined tackles he's added. Xavier McKinney has played 100% of the Giants' defensive snaps. That'll change pretty soon. If you are a leader on this team, take care of your body. It's as simple as that. I like, I, I just don't know what to say. He he says, uh, we were on a sightseeing tour. That's what I can tell you. It was nothing that was reckless. This was just simply being able to be out of the country, see another country, see what it looked like. And it was just an unfortunate event that happened. Sit on a beach. Take a walk. You can do a lot of things in another country without falling off a moving vehicle and breaking your hand. You you could do so many nice things in Cabo. You could see so many cool things that don't involve putting yourself in a position to break your hand. I don't know. I guess it's it's a he freak accident. Probably didn't maybe. think he was in a position to break his hand. I just I don't know. Maybe like, he could have rolled his ankle on a beach walk yeah. or. This is where something. we go back to the whole like. I don't want to assign fully the blame, but like it can't happen. It just can't. It can't. Moving on. Up to Buffalo. Arguably the biggest injury, yet the most nebulous injury of the week. Josh Allen Delba. Really don't know a lot about it right now. He was hit on his throwing arm on the final drive of Sunday's loss. Immediately followed that up with a 70-yard dot to Gabriel Davis that was probably broken up by a bit of, uh, you know, a little pass interference on Sauce Gardner's part. A little, little, little anti. Light, light PI. Light PI, as we call it in the biz. He's being evaluated now for UCL and nerve damage. UCL, for those uninitiated with baseball, is the ligament in your elbow that pitchers most commonly get Tommy John surgery on. That being AKA the only ligament that requires Tommy John surgery. The surgery that keeps you out for at least a year and really doesn't allow you to return to form for two years. Now, according to NFL Network and Rappaport earlier in the week, uh, before Chris Mortensen revealed it was UCL and nerve damage, Rappaport described the injury as a situation to monitor more than a real injury. But according to multiple Buffalo beat reporters, Sean McDermott, the head coach, has been keeping very tight-lipped on the injury, deflecting any question on whether Josh Allen has thrown since Sunday, uh, talking about his status for this Sunday. Uh, He's been completely mum on the word has not talked 
at all. His status is uncertain for the Minnesota game on Sunday. It was already revealed earlier in the week that he was very limited for practice. Jackson, how concerned should we be about this injury? And is it just the fact that it's being talked about in such obscurities that it's the only reason we're creating drama around it? So I feel like we're stepping a little bit into my world here uh, because for those that don't know, I played baseball. I played collegiately. I even played a little bit professionally. I was not a pitcher uh, and I had a bad shoulder, not a bad elbow. So I never really had like UCL concerns, but from everything I know about UCL injuries, it occurs from repeated, extremely fast movements that tear on your UCL. So this was not one of those. This was an impact moment uh, that could have like potentially done some damage, but it's not like the type of thing where you're just throwing so hard over and over and over again that you tear it and you need Tommy John surgery. So am I concerned? Yes, I absolutely am. But that's more so like, is it going to affect his throwing motion? Is it going to give any hesitancy? You know, this week aside, like I, I don't really think it matters whether he misses this week other than maybe playoff seating. I don't think this is an injury that's going to hold him out for the year uh, because I don't think it's going to require any sort of surgery. Uh, and probably like if it's nerve damage and it's not a complete tear uh, that requires surgical repairment, I think he's back this season. But it is definitely like a lingering concern. We've already seen kind of some vexing play out of Josh Allen the last couple weeks. Some interceptions he's thrown, four of them, in fact, uh, that you wouldn't expect to see him throw uh, nowadays. They were very rookie Josh Allen-like mistakes. Uh, So you couple that with an uncertain elbow for the rest of the season, and I don't know if he's the transcendent talent that we've all kind of grown accustomed to him being. That's my biggest concern should be noted that the Buffalo Bills will take on the 7-1 Minnesota Vikings. And if Josh Allen is not available, this could be the Case Keenum, Keenum revenge game. With Stephon Diggs. With Stephon Diggs. <laughs> that is a wrinkle I forgot about. That is That is a bizarro Minneapolis miracle, complete total reversal of fortune waiting to happen. Listen, it'll a uh, wounded Josh Allen or just any limiting factor that kind of sullies what this prove-it game could have been for the Minnesota Vikings is totally nullified by the fact that we could get one of the ultimate revenge games this Sunday. I tell you what, Case Keenum against the Vikings, I don't know what kind of odds you're getting on that. The Bills are four-and-a-half-point favorites right now. That's dropped four points since it opened, which kind of reflects the uncertainty around Josh Allen. If that drops below four-and-a-half in the case that he is ruled out, sounds kind of nice. I think the Bills are in a good spot there at home. Not going to be a warm-weather game. Might rain in Buffalo this weekend. Seems like kind of a nice opportunity for Keenum to notch himself a dub. Moving on. Listen, we could have had our own segment about the Green Bay Packers this week. Mm -hmm. Even it. Packers president goes on radio this morning saying it's too early to count the team out. 
he still has a lot of confidence in the coaching staff, the general manager, the front office. Uh, there was also a story released during this show from ESPN saying that a lot of the wide receivers in Green Bay are frustrated at being made scapegoats by Aaron Rodgers, especially during OTA and specifically who could, who could have guessed that? Rodgers' <laughs> Packers absence during OTAs. Uh, we also could have rattled off any number of injuries. Uh, Aaron Jones going in for x-rays and MRIs for his ankle. Uh, also could have mentioned wide receiver Romeo Dubs suffering a high ankle sprain. Green Bay Packers quarterback Eric Stokes exiting the stadium on crutches and a walking boot. But the most permanent loss to this team, top pass rusher Rashawn Gary, done for the year at the ACL, led the team in sacks, six sacks and a forced fumble this year. Jackson, a tough, tough loss for the Green Bay Packers. In addition to the five games they've already lost in a row uh, to the Giants, Jets, Commanders, Bills, and Lions. Outside of the Bills, not a group you want to be a part of or see losses to. Packers are in free fall, Jackson. I have nothing to toss to you, but it's bad. <laughs> it's uh, It's not getting any better from here. You know who their next three games are? Cowboys, Titans, Eagles. And then at Bears with uh, good Justin Fields, presumably by then. So it's a five-game free fall. Might be looking at eight or nine if, uh, if things continue to spiral their way. They also still have games against the Dolphins and Vikings after that. I would say at this point, it's more likely they get a top five pick than sneak their way back into the hunt for the playoffs. I think this is – I don't think it's a hot take at all to say the Packers are just cooked. I know they still have number 12, but they have nothing else going for them. And Aaron Rodgers clearly hasn't been himself this year anyway. Listen, all I'm saying is there's a world where the Packers have a top five pick. The Colts trying to redo this whole veteran quarterback single cycle again. Maybe you repair the offensive line too. Rodgers, Bakhtiari, Colts. And they take like Bryce Young or something. And they just hit hard reset. What's Those with Jordan Love? Everyone, everyone who covers the Packers says, "Ooh, Jordan Love definitely a starting caliber quarterback." When is it time to find out? It's as long as you're paying Aaron Rodgers fifty million a year, you're not going to find out about how good Jordan Love is. He's got. If you're, I mean, if you're letting him go in the off season and taking another quarterback to start over Jordan Love. I mean, isn't that one of the worst wasted first-round picks in recent memory? I mean, we just talked about all the Steelers ones. You draft a guy 26th Riddle. overall and never give him a chance. That's that's bad. Raiders wasted offensive first picks, but the Steelers taking Najee Harris, you know, we'll, we'll chalk it up for debate. Hmm. <laughs> Moving on to the New York Jets. Big, big win against the Buffalo Bills this weekend. Made the any given Sunday this week. Lose a little bit in the process. Offensive lineman Sheldon Rankins dislocates his elbow, placed on IR, expected to miss four to six weeks. A tough loss for an admittedly very deep Jets front seven. Uh, I will not deny 
the leadership a guy like Rankins brings to a lineup. But when you look at this lineup, when you look at losing Rankins, you know who bumps in for Rankins? Solomon Thomas. You know who they still have? Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, Quentin Williams, John Franklin Myers. It's a it's a loaded group, Jackson. It is yeah. obviously a very tough loss for this group, but man, this is a this is a deep group. <laughs> it's a deep group. Rankins was playing almost exactly half of the team's defensive snaps in every game this year. Two sacks, one forced fumble. Like you're talking about somebody who not that not that it's not a tough injury, but can be replaced, especially when you think about Solon Thomas, former number three, was it, overall pick in the draft. There's got to still be some juice there. He wasn't a leader of the group. He was very much, you know, a veteran contributor, and this is a deep, deep group. Uh, maybe the bigger Jet story this week is that Robert Sala is committing to moving Elijah Moore to the slot. Uh, don't know if that means he can no longer run around in the backfield like a runaway train before the snap, but I'm looking forward to seeing whether he still can. The Jets' defensive line ranks top 10 in adjusted line yards, stuff rate, second-level yards, open field yards, and is 10th in the league in adjusted sack rate. Just an impressive front seven. Obviously a tough loss. The fact they'll be getting him back, hopefully, though, within the season bodes well, but should be noted that, man, that's a deep unit. So deep. The Jets, uh, it, so, yeah, they have their bye week this week, so it's possible that he's just set to miss maybe three games on their schedule. Um, they'll probably – it's not like they're not going to miss him, but – whether or not they win those three games comes much more down to Zach Wilson, to overall offensive production, whether or not they can get production out of their receivers, period, uh, than it does the loss of Sheldon Rankins. This is a really interesting game for it, just seeing, you know, the first time we've seen quick game out of Zach Wilson, jumped from uh, by NGS's numbers, uh, leading the league on the season in time to throw down to uh, – Went from 3.1 to 2.3 seconds time to throw. Very different offense we've seen from the Jets. But, yeah, this is very much a defensive-led team. Moving on to Thursday night football. Little news from the Panthers and the Falcons. In an Ratings bonanza. Amazon Prime stand up. Game of the year type material. Bezos keeps winning. Starting off with the Panthers. They let go of two more coaches, cornerbacks coach Evan Cooper, defensive line coach Paul Pasqualoni. Took me a second there. Very Italian <laughs> last name. Steve Wilkes is the one evaluating the staff at the moment. He is the one that pulled the ripcord on him. Didn't said specifically Monday that it wasn't due to the loss of the Bengals. But they're out the door in Carolina. They'll be seeing. Some further adjustment with the coaching staff there, Jackson. All I've got for you is a fun fact about Paul Pasqualoni. Uh, being two Syracuse guys, I would love to note for you that Paul Pasqualoni, the head coach at Syracuse from 1991 to 2004, he's been around the block a few times. I believe he also played defensive line at Syracuse back in the day. 
He is the head coach of the only winless team in Syracuse history, not because they lost all their games, but they vacated all their victories in 2004 to ineligible players and was subsequently fired in the offseason. So you think things can't get lower for Paul Pasqualoni? They have before. As Pat Sealy says, Carolina knows how to tank. <laughs> crushing it. Crushing the tank. QB Carousel continues to spin in Carolina. P.J. Walker keeping the job despite being replaced in the Cincinnati game by Baker Mayfield. P.J. Walker goes three for nine, or three for ten with nine yards and two interceptions. Baker Mayfield performs much better, albeit. Not enough to get any sort of win. Sam Darnold is officially activated off the IR uh, for a concussion sustained in the preseason. Uh, In a personal statement, if you took that long to recover from a concussion, please do not play football again. Uh, (laughs) Just just for your own safety and the longevity of, your just long-term well-being, please don't do that. Uh, but still a three-man quarterback competition. This game against Cincinnati was a very different one uh, than the one against Tampa Bay, despite the fact that Cincinnati had three healthy corners on their roster and one of them had never played a defensive snap in an NFL game, at least this season. In the Tampa Bay game, he's hitting all these hole shots against cover two defense. He's picking up yards. He's looking impressive. This one, he doesn't make it to halftime. Jackson, I don't know if there's a right answer at the quarterback position in Carolina. But, hey, someone's got to start. Multiple choice, Kale. Multiple choice. 2023. Week one starting quarterback for Carolina. I'm going to give you five options. I'm going to give you current starting quarterback, uh, PJ Walker. I'm going to give you Baker Mayfield starting quarterback to start the season and best performer for them last week. I'm going to give you Sam Darnold, who they traded two picks for uh, during the Matt Rule era. And okay, I've crossed all three of these the out, option. by the way. I've crossed all three of these out already, by the way. So it's 50 50. <laughs> I'll give you. 2022 third round pick Matt Corral, who has not appeared in an NFL game yet because he missed this entire season. And I'll give you option five, anybody else. Not on the roster. Option eight. <laughs> Easy. Couldn't be easier. If they have a high enough draft pick, they're taking some money. And even if they recognize they traded up to take Matt Corral, so they don't want to spend as much money or just general draft capital on them, they'll find someone to at least compete with Corral before this job because, man, they've got a lot of rebuilding to do. Patrick, Patrick Seeley says Bryce Young. Patrick, I don't think they're going to get him. I think the Texans are tanking better than the Panthers right now, despite the fact that Carolina's done a good job. Hey, if Steve Wilkes was in the ref's ear begging them to throw a flag on the DJ Moore play, which we saw Travis Kelsey huck his helmet on the field this, uh, this week, Fully on the field during the game, no doubt about it, should have been a flag, no flag thrown. Wouldn't be surprised if that was a Panthers tank in the making uh, and if they just told Eddie Pinero to go ahead and hook that extra point anyway to guarantee they lose that game. The Texans are still tanking better, and they have worse positional groups on both sides of the ball. So I don't think, unless Bryce Young's stock 
no longer becomes the number one QB, I don't think you're getting it. We'll see where they end up. But, hey, I don't know who's starting at quarterback, but at least they'll look good on Sunday. It's uniform news. This game's on Thursday. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is a Thursday, Robert. What am I talking about? <laughs> Whatever. They're wearing all black, Jackson. This is the Panthers. There's a lot of teams that have done the all black this year. There's a lot of teams that have done the black helmets this year. The Panthers are the only team, maybe outside the Saints, that can pull off an all-black uniform. Even the Raiders, I like the silver pants in there. I don't like an all-black Raiders uni. This is the only all-black look or the only new black helmet that I think works outside an all-black, maybe could even be considered for the team's primary helmet. Because guess what? There are Black Panthers out there. This makes total and complete sense. The Panther in their logo already is black. So just roll with the black helmets more often. This is a good look. Get rid of this Jets black, Cardinals black, all that nonsense. This is the team that should be wearing black helmets. You want to know a fun fact, Jackson? I would love to. Panthers aren't actually real animals. They're melanated jaguars or leopards or melanistic color variants of the leopard and the jaguar. Like, you know how albino is all white? Melanistic is all black? They're just color variants of pre-existing leopards and jaguars. Like, they're not their own genus and species. I didn't know that till recently. Fascinating fact to throw in at 158 uh, when we still have to talk about the Falcons kill. There's not a lot to talk about the Falcons outside of two. Pretty big injuries. Matt Hennessy placed on injury reserve with a knee. Moved from backup center to starting left guard. Being banged up. It's a second knee injury that's happened to a lineman because Hennessy's, uh, the guy Hennessy was filling in for, Elijah Wilkinson, was also placed on IR with a knee injury. Falcons' offensive line looks must improved. Going to lump in this one as well. Starting quarterback A.J. Terrell has not practiced yet this week, has not played since week seven. It's currently questionable for Thursday's action. A team that looked somewhat scrappy and promising is starting to go down with the injury bug a bit. Pretty tough situation for the Falcons to be in. At this point, Thursday's looking like a bit of a slop fest. Yeah, look, we said this game was not a great matchup, but if you're looking for a reason to watch, it's because Atlanta's still tied for first place in this division somehow. Absolutely needs to win this game. It's in Carolina, and they almost lost to Carolina two weeks ago. And part of why they almost lost to Carolina was because they were, it was the one game where DJ Moore was getting good production. The Falcons. 22nd in DVOA against wide receiver ones. Really the only reason they're still that high is because usually A.J. Terrell's there to take on the wide receiver one. Not there this uh, past time they played the Panthers. If he's not able to go, you know, this is a 50-50 matchup, and this is a, a matchup that you can exploit specifically with D.J. Moore going up against, you know, the kind of the B-tier corners and safeties that Atlanta has to offer. If. The Carolina Panthers come away with a win in this game. The NFC South will be the only conference 
outside of the AFC East, where top to bottom, all four teams are separated by two losses. And let's flip that on its ear. The the AFC East, every team is above 500. The NFC South, every team is below 500. What a hotly contested division. Someone will host a playoff game from this division. And, buddy, I can't wait to find out. (laughs) If you've got $33 burning a hole in your pocket and you want to head over to Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte to watch this game, highly endorse it. If only this one was in Atlanta, because then the Chick-fil-A would actually be open in the stadium for a football game. Never. That'll about do it for us at the FO News Show. As always, thank you to our friends at Underdog. You double your deposit up to $100 of promo code OUTSIDERS. The first time you deposit, you can come check out the FO News Show in its VOD form over on YouTube. You can check it out as a podcast over on the FO Podcast Network. Are you there? Why don't you drop a subscribe and a little thumbs up for us? It goes a long way. Maybe a review if you're talking podcast. Jackson, another week of news in the books. Wouldn't want to do it with anyone else, bud. Happy to be a part of this all. And, man, we've got fun. There's a night football game going on this week. Just happy, happy all the time. No no other news I'd rather discuss than football. Every week the news seems to hit us with something new and crazy. Last week we got our, our 24 Dan Snyder news. Nothing's materialized of that yet, uh, except apparently the D.C. Attorney General announcing that there's going to be a major announcement on the Dan Snyder case tomorrow. So maybe stay tuned for that next week on this show. But regardless, somehow this NFL news cycle manages to pump out insane content week after week, and we are lucky enough to be able to break that down. And you'll be able to hear that breakdown of whatever the (laughs) Washington defense attorney has to say about Dan Snyder next week and every week, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Thank you, as always, for listening. For Jackson, I'm Cal. We'll see you next week.